So what's your favorite Christmas story? You have a favorite? I, I do. It's in Luke chapter 2. It's the one about the angel announcement to the shepherds. Now that story is never going to get old. Am I right? Let's look at that story in our Bibles in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Now there were in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Now this is one fantastic Christmas story. The world had been dark and spiritually silent for centuries and now we have a messenger from heaven in the person of an angel breaking the darkness of the night to shepherds who are in a field. <laughs> the angel has an announcement to make. Imagine this bright angel in this dark world coming from the presence of God, bringing the glory of God, manifesting light into the world, into the inky blackness the light explodes on this night, and a message of the birth of Messiah comes to these shepherds. This is a big deal. Now, we've heard this story before, right? So we read it as if it's not fantastic. If you were in the field at night, huddling around the fire, and you had never had an angelic visitation before, this might be a significant moment in your life. It might be something you're still talking about when you're an old lady knitting on the porch. Or when you're an old man swapping stories with your buddies. You would say, oh yeah? Well, let me tell you what happened to me one night. I was out in the field and an angel from God visited me with a message. Now this story actually gets even more powerfully exciting when you realize that you know, it kind of happens in stages. You have this angelic messenger from the Lord, angel from the Lord, or angel of the Lord. And, and there is this message that comes. But then this angel is joined by a multitude of angels. Now, that's interesting. The Greek uh, translation means 10,000. So, now, years later, John saw 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels. So there could be as many as 100 million angels at least. And there are 10,000 of them here helping to make this announcement. Now, just stop and think about that. 
God sent angels from heaven, and here was the message. Did you see it? Kind of two parts of it. Glory to God in the highest. I'm looking at verse 14 now. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. To men with whom God is pleased. Glory to God in the highest is an expression of heavenly praise. And peace on earth is an offer of earthly peace. So here you have this fantastic message and uh, an expression of heavenly praise, glory to God, and an offer of earthly peace, which every human heart longs for. So it's Christmas time. And you know Christmas time, it's a time of peace. It's a time when we think about peace. It's a time when we long for peace. It's a time when we go over this promise of peace over and over again, and we kind of scratch our heads, don't we, about Well, when's this going to happen, and how is this going to happen, and surely the angel's word is going to come to fulfillment, and Jesus is going to keep all his promises, but we live in a world that's just torn with strife, and chaos, and death, and heartache, and conflict, and the conflict is all around the world, and the conflict is all across the nation, and the chaos is in our own communities. It sometimes even disturbs churches of Jesus, and it's in our own homes, and it's down in each one of our hearts, uh, this peace, this promise of peace. What does it mean? Jesus, um, in his earthly ministry at one point, says, I don't come to bring peace but a sword. So how can this, how can this be consistent? Think of these facts. The angel's announcement here among other things, is primarily an offer of peace, right? And every human heart longs for peace, unless you're just really weird, right? Unless you're just a little twisted, unless you're a little messed up. I suppose there, there are people who just, who just love to cause trouble. But for most of us, there's this, this, this desire for spiritual tranquility, for psychological tranquility, for getting along with people, Right? And, and all of us experience this, you know, this hunger for peace, but we also, you know, experience a lack of peace. And, and if you don't agree with me, obviously, just turn on the evening news and watch the heartache that is just like pumped into your living room every single night. Personal anxiety, family dysfunction, national insecurity, world chaos. This is the world we live in. It's always been like that. You know, it's interesting when you come to Christmas time, we have these carols that are dear to us. And, and many of them are ancient, right? We love the new ones. We love the old ones. Some of the ancient carols were in, in their Civil War or War Between the States era, right? Let, let me give you three examples. Uh, Edmund Sears wrote, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. There's a verse we often, we rarely sing. It's not in our hymn books. And, you know, it came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, the, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men, from heaven's all-gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. But the next verse is, yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Pastor Sears was from Massachusetts, and he saw the Civil War boiling up. Beneath the angels' strain have rolled 2,000 years along, and men at war with men hear not the love song which they bring. Hush the noise, ye men of strife. Hear the angels sing. One of our beloved Christmas carols. And another one you're familiar with, of course, Longfellow's beautiful poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, expresses the same angst. And then there's Phillips Brooks, the pastor from Philadelphia. 
pastor in the same era visited. He was uh, unmarried, obviously had no children, but they say he was a huge man, a big, physically a big man who adored children. And his, his city, the young men went and fought, and didn't, many of them, most of them didn't return. He's in the Middle East visiting Bethlehem, and he writes a beautiful, many say he's thinking about how few young men are still in his town when he writes, oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the... the and, modern, and, and even in modern times, the, the Irish band U2 has a, has a song called Peace on Earth. It, it poignantly asks this exact same question. So you promised peace on earth. How's that going to look? What is, how does that work? How do, I, how do I experience this peace? And I think maybe we kind of agree. We have this desire. And the Old Testament word for peace is the word shalom, and it's a, it's a word rich with meaning, and it's translated in, in the, in the uh, Septuagint. It's translated in this word peace. We use uh, arene. Hey, how many of you here, your name is Grace or Karis? I found you out, didn't I? Grace or Karis. Just one. Thank you for your lovely singing today. Grace. This is uh, interesting. And then how many of you, are there any Irenes here? Irene? Where did you go, Irene? Where are you? Right there. Yeah. Find these things out. Yeah. So if, so if your name is Grace or Charis or Irene, interesting, the Greeks would often start their letters with, with this word grace. And the, and the Hebrews would often give a greeting of peace. And these Greek words that were common usage, Jesus filled them with deep meaning. And the, and the, often the New Testament letters will say, we'll, we'll take these two things from the Greek and from the Hebrew cultures, these greetings from the Greek culture and from the Hebrew culture, and put them together and say grace and peace. Our sovereign God rules the world and G and he's promised to send his son Jesus that where he's glorified there would be peace. And so they send the message from heaven. They send the message from heaven, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And so the question still kind of stirs our souls. So how do I experience peace? Let me, let me suggest three specific ways to do that. First, this is just as simple as I know how to make it. If you want to experience the peace of God, according to the Bible, be, be born again, be saved. Take your sins, yield them to God, confess and admit your sins, and believe that Jesus died for your sins, and become a follower of Jesus. This is what we call justification by faith. So there's an experience of peace that comes when we're justified by faith. There's an experience of peace that comes when we're saved. So if you want to experience a, a bit of peace, begin by having peace with God. That's why Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says we have because of Jesus, we have peace with God when we're justified by faith. Romans 5.1. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And so the, the idea of the, the Greek word, that Irene word, that, that means put together, pieces that are put together. Our alienation from God is put together when we're born again. You can't have peace with God until you're born again. There's a significant piece of my dad's testimony as a young man. He was seeking biblical truth, and he came across a book by Billy Graham, and the book's name was Peace with God. And that's how he came to know the Lord. That's one of the things that, that brought him to the Lord. If you want to have to begin an experience of actual 
peace in your soul, psychological peace, connection with God. You get a piece of that. You get a beginning of that when you're justified, when you have peace with God. Now, the second thing is to walk in the Spirit. You could say be justified is an experience of peace, and to continue to grow and to be sanctified is to continue in growing in peace. So, so the, the, the scriptures promise that peace comes to us, peace comes to us immediately with God because of what Jesus said, but, but our experience of peace comes as we continually grow in the Lord. So how can you experience peace? Be saved and, and walk in the Spirit. In Isaiah chapter 11, and this is kind of the heart of things, take your Bibles and take time now, please, to turn to Isaiah chapter 11, because when the angels gave the announcement, the primary idea they were expressing was messianic. In other words, Jesus is going to come as a fulfillment of a, of a messianic promise, and he's literally going to bring a peaceful kingdom to earth. And the primary meaning of that promise from the angels was that Jesus would come and he would literally reign on the earth. I, I believe the Bible teaches clearly there will be a literal 1,000-year reign of peace on earth where Jesus literally sits on a throne on the earth and reigns in peace. And then the eternal kingdom after that is also a kingdom, is an eternal kingdom of peace. And this is the primary thing that the angels are promising, though it's not going to happen immediately, it's going to happen eventually. And all the other things that we associate with peace... We believe they'll happen because if God, who's the sovereign king of the universe, can send his son, our savior Jesus, to reign and rule on earth, he can take care of everything else, right? He can take care of your bills. He can take care of your mother-in-law. He can take care of your pressures at Christmas time. He can take care of your past mistakes and your future worries, right? If he's the king of the universe and he's gonna rule over everything, so let's just read one of these promises of peace. Are you there? in Isaiah, and here you have one of those messianic promises, a promise about Messiah Jesus Christ that we know is because it's quoted in the New Testament as a reference to Christ. And Isaiah 11, 1 says, there will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And when this kingdom comes, it's described in the most beautiful and poetic way in verse 6. The wolf, literally now, on the earth, the wolf will dwell with a lamb. The leopard will lie down with a young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is a messianic kingdom coming. Jesus will reign over that kingdom in literal fulfillment to his people Israel. And then after that, an eternal state where we'll literally, Jesus will reign in absolute peace over everything and over everyone forever. This is the promise the angels are making ultimately. 
And Jesus' first advent, his incarnation, sets the wheels in motion in a powerful way. And there's, of course, much misunderstanding because when the, when the, uh, when the shepherds are on earth and they hear the announcement, their primary thinking is probably Roman oppression. It's probably political turmoil. It's probably immediate, and many confused Jesus' first coming, assuming he was going to be a military conqueror and immediately deliver them. And he is, and he will, but, his, but he would suffer first. And a thorough understanding of the prophecies of Isaiah would have yielded that. He expected them to understand that, the, that, the, that he would come, and that he would suffer first, and then he would return, and he would reign. Now, that's still going to literally and physically happen in the world one day, and so, in the meantime, what do we do? We make sure that we rightly align with the Lord. Number one, if you want to experience peace, be saved. Number two, if you want to experience safe peace, progress in sanctification. And, and the idea here is, what did we say when we were teaching through Romans? The key to sanctification was, come on, you know this. Walk in the Spirit. Am I going to have to go over this again? Walk in the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. Listen to the voice of the Spirit, the impulses of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit, yielding the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, Spirit-filled people, and Jesus was Spirit-filled. This characterizes his peaceful kingdom. Go back to Isaiah and look in Isaiah chapter 11 and notice again the role of the Spirit in Isaiah and chapter 11 in this messianic prophecy. There are many of them in the Scriptures. There shall come forth this shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from the root shall bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his, de- and his delight will be the fear of the Lord. How can I experience peace? First of all, be saved. Second of all, yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, which produces holiness or sanctification. If you want to grow in the Lord, if you want to have peace, be saved and begin to grow in the Lord. Now, I don't know if if this has been your experience. I suspect it has been. You need some some work on this. How many of you say, my wife needs to work on this? No, no, I'm just kidding. You don't want to answer that. You need some work on this. Can I tell you an old Christmas story? Sure, okay, then I will. So years ago... There's a young couple, and it's their first year of marriage, and they're just figuring things out. And they're setting up the tree. It's interesting because it seems like though they love each other, Christmas time becomes difficult every year. And they, they're, they're, actually, they're actually setting up the tree, and they're actually stringing the lights which is supposed to be a happy time when you make cookies and you play music, and and yet it's not a happy time because they're getting all verbally tangled up and hurts come, and before you know it, night has fallen and the the verbal tangles has, has actually become very painful, and the young husband gets so frustrated, he actually takes the Christmas tree and he opens the front door and he throws the Christmas tree out the front door into the snow. His wife burst into tears, and she says, that's it, I'm leaving. And she gets in the car, and she drives away. She's going to go to her mother's. Her mother lives three hours away. 
And so she starts to drive, and she's crying while she's driving. She drives away and sees that the Christmas tree is laying in the front yard. And the young man goes out. After a while, he gets the tree. He drags it back into the house and sets it back up. He turns the lights off, and he goes and he gets in his bed. And he lays there in the darkness and thinks, how in the world are we ever going to make it if we can't even put a Christmas tree up together? And the girl, she's a young girl, she stops at McDonald's and gets a Coke. She's an hour away from home and two hours from her mother's. And she thinks to herself, if I go home to mom, it's going to be so embarrassing that we can't get along any better than this. And so she gets, turns the car back around, and instead of going to mom, she drives back home. She walks into a dark house, and she gets back in bed beside her husband. And she turns her back on him, and for two or three days, they don't talk. You might wonder what happened to that couple. Whatever happened to them? Well, early the next year, she conceived, and she had a little baby boy. And then after that, a little girl came along, and then a boy, and then a girl, and then a boy, and then a girl. They, they eventually had four boys, and they have four girls. And you probably figured out by now that that was me. The guy that threw the tree out in the front yard was me. Not too long ago, Lois and I were talking about that. In those sad times, we're trying to learn to get along. And we're thinking, I wonder if that hurt the kids. Us trying to grow in the Lord, trying to learn to get along, to really love one another. I wonder if it hurt the kids. I said, well, maybe we should just pray. And we stood in the hallway of our house where we live now, and we held hands. And we just cried. And we said, Jesus, please, whatever damage that we might have done to our kids, would you please help them? This Christmas, we get to celebrate together year number 39, and we're happy people. And we still need Jesus every single day. And it's been years since I threw the tree out in the front yard. Matter of fact, incidentally, for the last nine years, we've come to almost to Jackson County to get our tree right on the edge of Washtenaw County over there. Who knew the Lord would bring us over this way? But if you walk in the Spirit, you will grow closer and closer to the Lord, and more and more you will experience peace in your own heart, in your relationships with other people, because God promised he would do that. And God wants us then, so, so if you want to experience peace, be saved. And if you want to experience peace, then walk in the Spirit. Keep confessing your sin. Keep being open and honest with God. The experience of peace will come to you. You need to be patient with yourself. And then the third thing I would say is, you know, work and wait. And why do I say that? Because we, we'll have the full fulfillment of the experience of peace in the peaceful kingdom when Jesus returns and, and, and eventually we call that the glorified state. So you see what we have here? You want to experience the, the, if you want to experience peace, be justified, be sanctified, be glorified. Get it? You want to experience peace, you experience 
a part of that when you're justified by faith and a part of that as you continue to be sanctified by walking in the Spirit and fully and completely when we're in our glorified state. And what, do you, and what should we do when we look forward to that? We should do two things. We should wait faithfully. Much of Christian experience is faithful perseverance. It's faithful waiting. We should wait as faithful people wait. And, and we should work towards that kingdom with kingdom work, making disciples, bringing other people to Christ. We're, we have a message of reconciliation. The Bible says we have a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of peacemaking. And so this is a famous prayer maybe you've heard, and this is what we should commit ourselves to. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we're born again to eternal life. So what should we do until the kingdom comes? We should say, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Make me an instrument of your peace. Help me to do on earth what you would have done when you were on earth. Our whole church, that's the beauty of a church like this. It's a community of people who are committed to being like Jesus, obeying the commands of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there will be a beauty to that, a magnetic beauty. Pastor Rick Warren out in California, he has a thing he calls the peace plan. This is pretty grandiose. It's a large church. This is an acronym. If you're sharp, you'll pick it up. Here's his peace plan. One, two, three, four, five pieces of it, five movements. One, promote reconciliation, he says. Two, equip servant leaders. Three, assist the poor. Four, care for the weak. Five, educate the next generation. So obviously this is a devoted evangelical pastor who believes that you give the gospel so people will be saved, right? And then he says, in our work in the world, do kingdom things like, if you paid attention to this, it's you're promoting reconciliation and you're raising up servant leaders and then you're helping the poor and the sick and those who need to be educated. And those are like Jesus-like things. If you, take, if you go to the Gospels and you read the commands of Jesus, we're a part of the commission of Christ, right? Go into all the world and preach the Gospel and keep my commands. Those things are included in his commands. Good works, kind deeds. You're giving the Gospel, right? And you're helping people walk in the Lord and you're embedding the Gospel in the soil of good works. Now listen carefully. So our elders, our leaders here, we're conferring together. We're praying. We're, 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 um, we're working. We're reading. We're studying about how we can just continually fine-tune this good church so that it will do the work of God in this world, so that we can participate in what God is doing in this world. And we may not have a plan as grand as Rick Warren's peace plan, or we may not have, you know, the reach that he had, but we here in Jackson, we can be the, a, a Jesus faithful church, right? That can do kind deeds, and we can do kingdom-like things. And this church, the church age, is the current expression of God's kingdom on earth. And so this is a simple thing. If you want to experience peace, you want to be saved, continually walk in the Spirit, and then wait and work toward that kingdom 
Jesus is going to come physically and personally and return and bring the kingdom. But in the meantime, we do kingdom-like stuff. And we do it. And, and I would suggest that the one who rules the entire universe probably ought to run your life too. Am I right? Tweet that one. And so now, years ago, I was a pastor of a little church in Ohio, in central Ohio. And I had a I was a young guy with a, with a bright idea. I thought, how cool would it be if on Christmas Eve, we have a Christmas Eve service, that we get hundreds of luminaries and we, we, we just put them all around the church, and then we take the children, and instead of just doing the like, Christmas pageant in, in the service, that we have them do a live nativity outside. You know, dress up like Mary and Joseph and, you know, little, little shepherds and little wise men. And we can get some live animals, you know. Sheep, we got people that can bring sheep. And so that's what we did. We had a live nativity there. And as people were arriving for that beautiful candlelight service, they would drive past this little peaceful scene with all these little tiny children that were all out there shivering in the cold there. And they were like the, the little manger scene, the little live nativity. Now, I, I drove past, and it was, it was beautiful. I went in to the church, and, and a few minutes later, someone breathlessly ran into the church and said, Pastor, you need to come out here. It's like, we need your help. And I went out, and it was Bedlam because the sheep got away. <laughs> There's a guy named Mike Hammond. You know, he's like a man's man. He's got a pickup truck, guns and whatnot. He's going to get the sheep. So he's got the sheep cornered now over in the garage there's an open garage next to the church, and he cornered the sheep, and he almost had him. And then the sheep jumped, and he fell over the lawnmower, and the sheep darted to the Methodist. Over across the street, the Methodist had a cemetery behind their church, and now the kids are all going to give chase. Mary drops her doll on the ground and heads across the street to the Methodist. Joseph loses his towel on his head. And he's over there trying to give chase to the sheep. People are roaring with laughter, right? We got wise men who lose all of their dignity. Their little gold cardboard crowns are rolling in the snow. And we have shepherds that are exposed as imposters who are no help at all. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I didn't make this up. About a half an hour later, finally Mike Hammond wrestles the sheep into the back of his pickup truck, and all the kids gather their stuff, you know, and they come huffing and puffing and stomping up snow into the church, and then we got the service going. We had a beautiful service, and it ended with candle lighting. In that church, the church was just full that night, and we, we lit all the candles, and we came down to the very end, of course. We were going uh, to sing Silent Night, Everybody was there with their candles burning, and I stepped off of the platform and started down the center aisle, and I began to dismiss everybody, and they came to the center and said, Merry Christmas, and I said Merry Christmas to them, and they all kind of went out one at a time. Now the auditorium was dark, except for my own candle. Everybody got in their car and drove away, and I stepped out onto the porch of the church and looked out. The sky was cleared that night and I held my candle so that it wouldn't blow out. And I thank God that even though I have all kinds of chaos around me, I serve one who's going to come back and he's going to rule, he's going to reign, he's going to bring the peace that he promised someday. And in the meantime, 
I can bring an expression of that peace into my own life, into my own marriage, into my own family, into my own church. Before we go today, you know, we have a tradition here in the church, a beautiful one, that if you want to have lively fellowship at the end of the service, you go that way and you hang out for a while and talk. But if you need somebody to pray for you, you can come this way. And we have people that care about you that can pray for you or even with you. And right now, I'd like to ask you to stand because we're going to sing this beautiful Civil War era hymn written by a pastor who looked over his city and grieved that there wasn't more peace. Sing, O little town of Bethlehem, before we go.